this is Rob Goldstone, editor of Current Directions and Psychological Science. Our guest today is Nick Chater, professor of behavioral science at the University of Warwick Business School and co-founder of Decision Technology Limited. He is the lead author of a freshly published article, Probabilistic Biases Meet the Bayesian Brain. Great to be with you again, Nick. Very nice to see you, Rob. As you noted in your article, there are apparently diametrically opposed approaches to understanding human decision-making, with some researchers on the one hand emphasizing how irrational our decisions are because they are based on imperfect heuristics that are easily fooled, and on the other hand, other researchers explaining human decision-making using models that assume rational, optimal calculations of probability. In your article, you present a possible reconciliation between these two camps. Can you broadly describe what your proposal is? Yeah, yeah. So before I start, I mean, just to, to summarize the point you've made so clearly, um, I mean, in, in, in various areas of cognition, in, in complicated things that we do, such as vision or language processing or motor control, um, really this dominant strategy is to think, let's try and build a complicated Bayesian model of this process as if we were building a piece of AI to do it. And then let's try and take that as a potential model of human behavior and then sort of adjust and, uh, and adapt it to make it as convincing as possible. But the objective there is to be as smart as people. So you think, well, if a human visual system my goodness that's amazingly impressive so how on earth can we create that sort of the first falsification of any model is well it just can't see like we can so your your desperate challenge is to make something as rational as you possibly can as intelligent as you possibly can and you can never make it as smart as the human visual system because it's just way too complicated but the objective is to be super is, is to push in the direction of a sort of extreme um optimality and rationality and yet on the other hand there are other things we do, um, like you know, deciding which house to buy or which career to choose or um, whether, which, whether to gamble or some money, where on the face of it, we seem to be making a mess of these things. We're not, we're not, and where the visual system is really hard to beat and betting, beating human betting behavior is pretty easy because we're pretty hopeless at it, most of us. Um, so there, uh, in those sorts of decisions, the, the standard perspective is to, is to think, well, why are we so bad at this? We can build optimal models which do a lot better than humans. So there's something wrong with us and we aren't doing the optimal thing. We must be doing something else. And then the assumption, at least in the tradition from Kahneman, Tversky and, and beyond, and that's a very, very influential and very important tradition, is to think, well, actually, there are really rules that we're using, heuristics, instead of all these complicated calculations. In fact, the calculations are just too difficult for us. Um, so you should, we're just thinking about it from a sort of optimal AI type of point of view is totally wrong. Um, if you did that, you'd just build something much better than we are. And in this kind of case, you're trying to explain the kind of clunky way we hack our way through real world decisions. And then, so an interesting question is, is there actually a way of reconciling these two? And the strategy that my colleagues and I have come up with, this is um, um, Adam Sanborn, Jujin Kao and, and Jake Spicer, uh, our strategy is to think, well, if you really take the, um, the, the Bayesian models seriously, where they live and work successfully, say vision or language processing, motor control, um, in reality, 
those models aren't really doing the probabilistic calculations directly. This is sort of a sort of something we tend to slide over. But in practice, there's not lots and lots of sort of probabilistic um, symbolic calculation going on, producing exact answers. That's not really how it works. What I actually have for any complicated problem is um, uh, something where the, as it were, the symbolic calculations are way too difficult. Doing the, the hardcore maths directly, that's just way hard, too hard. And what people often do, it's not the only strategy, but is the usual strategy or the default strategy is just to use sampling. So you build a model and you just sample from your model and you say, well, let's just take a few examples, see how it how, how that works and we'll use the samples as a, as a kind of guess about what the probabilities are. So instead of saying you know, what, ex what exactly is the probability of that there's a cat in this image, um, we actually do, do, do some sampling of well, what's this feature, what's that feature, if this feature is this and this feature is that, oh is that an eye and is that a head and we just fiddle around and we produce a sample, perhaps many samples and we use that as an approximation. Now then the trick is to think well wait a minute, maybe we're sam using sampling in these other cases where we're quite bad in the decision-making context too. So maybe we're just always sampling, we're never doing probabilistic symbolic calculations, and some, in some of these simple calculations cases, the sampling sort of sh grins through and shows up because it makes us do weird things. Um, so that's the sort of idea, is to say, well, we, there's, a, there's a world in which we're doing things really, really well, uh, where we're doing sampling. I wonder if we're sampling in the, these other cases, and maybe for some reason, and we might talk about some of the examples in a minute, um, there are some ways in which that sampling, when you look at it in simple cases, starts to do some weird things, in, um, which actually look, look sort of irrational. Great, great, thanks, great answer. Um, so one of the advantages of a sampling-based approach to decision-making is that it can potentially integrate otherwise disjoint heuristics into a, a common framework. So can I ask you to describe mm. a couple of those decision-making yeah. phenomena that have typically been held up as providing evidence for various kinds of heuristics and say how this notion that you were just presenting about sampling can provide an alternative account? Yeah, because that is the trick, isn't it? What we really need to be able to do here is to say, let's look at the sampling story and see if some of the, some of the things we previously thought of as heuristics actually sort of show up. And I think there are a, a few quick examples I can give. One which isn't really a heuristic, but it's a phenomenon we all know about in psychology, which is the matching law. So imagine, I take this shows up in lots of places, but let's take a really simple example. So I'm going to try and predict um, the next uh, throw of a coin. Um, is it going to be heads or tails? And I'm going to get rewarded. So you give me a uh, give, give me some money every time I get it right. And say it's a biased coin. Maybe I even know it's a biased coin. So what I ought to do is to think, well, it's actually biased for heads. So I'll just say heads, 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 heads. But I don't tend to do that. Um, I tend to say heads in proportion to the probability um, that it's going to come up heads and tails in proportion to the probability it's going to come up tails. So if it's two thirds heads, I'm, it's two thirds of the time I say heads and one third I say tails. Now on the face of it, that's a bit of a crazy thing to do, very non-rational. Um, and, and it's not always true because if you give people the wrong incentives and lots of learning time and you know you can get people to, to think hang on i see that trick here and mm -hmm. to change their behavior but but in lots of cases they roughly do that but of course a sampling story gets that in one because it just and this is something people have commented on for many years it's not a novel novel to our paper at all um, and the simple sampling story just says well i imagine a, a sampling from the probability distribution of this coin let me just spin it in my mind ah heads oh heads again and then tails because <laughs> because it's biased and so whatever it whatever it comes up as i just that's my guess i think what came up tails i'll guess tails because it's biased um say two-thirds heads two-thirds of the time i guess heads one-third i guess tails so that kind of you know it seems 
it's, it's, it's obvious if you're, if you're taking a single sample, you could take more than one sample, but say you take a single sample, then you're going to get this matching phenomenon, even though it's kind of silly to do that. Um, another more classic, or one or two classic judgment and decision-making examples, a really obvious one is the availability heuristic. So this is the, um, which is more or less, almost sounds like a redescription because it's really, it is a sampling-based idea in itself, really. Yeah. If you ask somebody um, how many words begin with a, I can't remember the example that Kahneman Tversky first used, I think it's something like how many words begin with a K versus have K as their third letter. Um, it's much easier to generate words which have K as their first letter because that's the way our lexicon is organized. Uh, whereas trying to think of things with K as the third letter is kind of a bit tricky. Um, and fam famously, um, ing, how many words end ing versus I blank, sorry, blank n blank, how many of those are there? And as soon as I realized ing, oh yeah, right, there's loads of those because I think of, um, of singing and ringing and so on and so on, um, then I can generate lots. So again, if, if you make sampling easy, um, then of course, yeah, I think something's probable because I generate lots of samples. If you make it hard, then they don't. But it's a bit, something a bit more, um, uh, a bit more surprising. Now let's take uh, this interesting phenomenon of unpacking. So this is something that's talked about in, in, in terms of the modeling. It doesn't come from our work originally. This comes from Ishita Gupta, Eric Schultz, and Sam Gershman's paper, um, which is a few years ago now in, uh, oh gosh, I said you know, the journal Help. It's, I think it's Cognitive Psychology. Um, but that, it's referenced in our paper. Um, they have this very nice explanation of what's going on when I ask you about um, the probability of, um, say, uh, having food poisoning versus some other gastric disease um, versus I, t I ask you about stomach cancer versus some other gastric disease. Mm -hmm. And the basic idea is that if I if I ask you about something really common, you say, oh, food poisoning, yeah, that happens all the time. Um, now I'm going to now I'm starting your sampler. In, I'm, I'm starting your sampler in the world of gastric diseases. And I'm starting you in a kind of common and familiar place. I think, oh yeah, it could be food poisoning. Oh yeah, and it could be this thing, and it could be that thing. I could have eaten mm -hmm. this or that, or and maybe oh, it could just be a stomach bug. And so I'm just thinking about all those you know, everyday things. So that makes me generate lots of stuff, and I think, oh yeah, it's quite likely. Because um, if I ask you about stomach cancer or something even more obscure you've never heard of, um, or other gastric diseases, I find myself thinking, well, that's pretty unlikely. I've never heard of that happening to anybody, or it's really unusual. And I may think of some other unusual thing or some other unusual thing. I'm, I'm struggling to sample, and therefore I think, oh, there's not, this isn't very common. But of course, the probability of X and other gastric stuff or Y and other gastric stuff, as long as both X and Y are gastric, uh, it's got to be the same. It's just that you're starting in a easy to sample place versus a hard to sample place. So that whether you get this kind of, un whether unpacking something into it's it, it, this X, Y, Z, or some other um, makes things more or less probable, depends on your sampling starting <laughs> point. And that, so that's, that's a kind of clever, clever example of theirs. And empirically, yeah. that, that's been already, already been known. Yeah, that's great. Th those are great examples of some of the explanatory value of, of this idea of sampling. Um, so I, I agree with uh, a big point in favor of sampling being that it can unify these phenomena that have been hitherto explained by separate heuristics. But maybe I still have a, a bit of a lingering worry that sampling is able to account for so many phenomena because there are so many different aspects of sampling itself. You got to figure out how many samples to take, which specific samples to take based upon factors like 
um, recency, availability, like you were just saying, relevance. Um, and you got to figure out how the evidence from the samples is going to be combined together to make a summary judgment. Yep. So given all of these uh, degrees of freedom, if you will, um, is sampling a, a sufficiently constrained construct that can actually you know, predict decision-making in new mm. situations? Yeah, I, mean, I think this is, this is a really critical question. Um, I think the answer to that is we'll just have to see. I, th I think the answer is it's promising, um, but I guess we'll, we'll find out. But I'll say a couple of more things. Um, so one is that um, if you see the world from the point of view of sampling, it suggests explanations which are, which are different. So for example, rep thinking, about rep thinking about representativeness. Um, so why is it that if I see, um, uh, going back to our coin, imagine I, I see a string of um, heads and tails mixed up and I see another string, which is the same length, but it's just heads. And I ask you how probable they are, then your natural instinct is think, well, that head's one, that looks really unlikely. Um, and you're li likely to think the one was a mixture looks pretty likely. Now, that, you know, there's lots of explanations for that and some pretty, pretty interesting ones. But a really simple story from sampling is to say, well, if you're really doing, trying to do probability um, calculations by sampling, um, when you're dealing with low probability events, you, you can't sample so so much that the actual event turns up. You can't think, well, let me just sample until I get 12 heads in a row, because that's never going to happen. It's going you know, to happen in two to the um, to minus 12, uh, two, 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 two to the power of 12 uh, occasions, roughly. So that's just going to be ages, right? And what's that? That's probably 4,000 or something. So, so instead, what you're going to do is sample a few strings, maybe even just one, and think, does it kind of look like that? Uh, and this is, and indeed, this is actually an, a, a, sort of a machine learning slash AI strategy for, for dealing with sampling problems where the space is big, which it usually is. So then, in this case, um, you get the, you, you take that trick from the um, the, the sort of the, the, the machine learning world and say, well, let's apply that. And you sort of quotes get the, as it were, cognitive, cognitive the, the quotes right answer. So it gives you a different angle on where the, how to try and tackle, tackle the problem. Um, but let me make, let me make, stick my neck out in possibly disastrous fashion by suggesting that I think there are some quite strong predictions, which might, might also be wrong. Um, so going back to my, um, uh, coin predicting case. Now, if it's the case, and this experiment, I, I've looked for this experiment, and I expect someone must have done it, but I haven't found it. So let's go, for, for, go back to our matching law. If it's the case that what I'm doing when I'm predicting heads or tails is I'm just sampling and thinking, oh yeah, that, that samples heads go for heads, the samples tails go for tails, then I should be insensitive to reward. So if you say you've got to guess head or tails, but if you get heads right, I'm going to give you two two cents, and if you get tails right, you're going to get one cent. Then I should be it's completely insensitive to that because I should just think, well, I'm just imagining what's happening next. And if it's if it's tails next, there's no point saying heads because it's wrong. I just <laughs> think it's got to be heads. I just got to got to go for it. So that's a really silly thing to do, um, and maybe people do nonetheless do it. And maybe that they don't. Now, of course, as ever with any prediction, unfortunately, you've always got the problem that people might sort of that people have got reasoning abilities. Clearly, <laughs> they can think. Hang on, um, I get. I, I, head seems like I get big prizes for it, so I'll just choose that. So we've got we've got the problem that there's always you know, sampling is never going to be the only thing in town. There's always a possibility yeah. that other reasoning comes in. But you can probably screw that up by um, making the probabilities and uh, making it stochastic. So it could, if it's the case that when I predict heads, I mostly get two cents and sometimes get one and versus tails where I mostly get one cent and sometimes two, then probably you can't spot the rule. You don't notice anything. So then. I'm going to just tempt my tempt fate by thinking I, I would predict 
that people should be insensitive to those effects. God knows whether they are. <laughs> Let's hope they are insensitive to them, but we don't know. Yeah, sure. great. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, so I hope somebody is incentivized to run your experiment. Yes, the danger is this is this is actually this is a, there's a methodology for it here, isn't there? Because the, the natural instinct of every uh, cognitive psychologist from our generation is to think, oh, we must go and run that experiment. <laughs> but what you ought to be doing is to say, no, don't trust my version of the experiment. You know, someone else should be running that experiment because uh, obviously we've got probably several different versions that aren't Absolutely. all just replications of exactly the same design. Absolutely. Like, your, yes, yes, uh, yeah, yes. Because obviously, I've got I've got every incentive to keep fiddling until <laughs> it does the right thing. Mm -hmm. So, so one final question. Um, I can see how your current directions article fits clearly in the thesis that you defend in your recent excellent and highly recommended book, uh, "The Mind Is Flat," um, which is that human reasoning is often far more superficial and shallow than we give it credit for being. And I think sampling is one way of doing a, a kind of a quick and dirty kind of superficial kind of strategy for dealing with the uncertainty in, in the world. So if we buy that the mind is flat, as you say, I guess my question is, should we both individually and collectively, should we be striving to make it more solid more three-dimensional oh, yes. or um, or should we just accept its two-dimensional character its flatness and yeah. learn to work around and deal with that as a given yeah I, I think the latter actually so I think the reason that we can't really build proper models of the world in in daily life is that the world is just too complicated to model so um, so if you're, if you're thinking yeah, it's even about something where there's enormous amounts of scientific endeavor. So something like modeling the spread of COVID or something and thinking, well, what should, you know, what, what's the rest the best um, way to, to counter it? Um, and this is something where enormous numbers of extremely clever people with hugely powerful computers and lots and lots of data are working really hard on it. But, you know, there's really no hope of, there's no hope of building a model which is you know, rich enough to be really, really convincing. And it certainly isn't for the individual um, person but but even as a, as a whole of science we can't really do it um so i think in those sort of contexts working on using much more superficial heuristics is actually entirely sensible so doing things like thinking well we don't really know about masks they're probably a good idea but you know what what have we got to lose um and of course there might be an answer to that there might be there might be something to lose but if you the simple sort of heuristics like that which say um you know normally when there's something um you know, you're thinking a very sort of simple kind of generally you want to stop something bad getting out well to hold it in i mean clearly that can fail that heuristic but that that, that sort of strategy of just trying to sample simple reasons i think is mm -hmm. often the best we can do and um yeah i, I think it's a very it's very interesting that as you get close to um, real decision makers, not that I'm very close to many, but it's the extent that you're close to real decision makers in um, government or business, they're for good or real, they really, really aren't um, trying to build a rich model of reality. They're really working on sort of sampling small numbers of, of, of relevant reasons and, and, and applying them. And it's easy to think, well, that's just silly. They shouldn't be doing that. They should be, you know, they should have the perfect scientific model. And I think that's probably a mistake, really. And we just, you know, I think it's just the world is too complicated. Um, so I think to, to flip to further to ride to that sort of last point would be, if we're trying to build intelligent AI, um, I think trying to build AI which has a really rich model of reality is just a hopeless task, and we don't have one either. Um, so what you really need is a, a clever um, knitter of 
little tricks and, um, and, and little local patches of understanding and the ability to apply those to your, the situation you're currently in to notice, oh, this situation is a little bit like that situation I came across before. I'll, you know, I'll import my experience. But the idea that you're, gonna, you're trying to build a kind of whole world model, it's a, kind of, it's a hopeless task. Cool, great. Thanks very much. Uh, that's all the time we have for this conversation with Nick Shader. Thank you very much, Nick, for the, Thank you the so highly much, stimulating Rob. conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.